Welcome to It's Your Money, a practical guide for managing the financial resources God has provided. Your host is Christian attorney and financial counselor, G. Edward Reed. Hello and welcome to It's Your Money. This session is number 11 and we're dealing with investments. And I've titled it Worry-Free Investments. Actually, there's only one kind of investment that's worry-free, and that's uh, the kind that we've stored up in heaven. But we will try to help you in that regard and also with the earthly investments that we all must make so that we have uh, emergency funds and also as we retire to have something to supplement the Social Security and so on that we've talked about earlier. So let's go right to our Bibles, and we're going to look first, and this is for those of you that have your workbook. It'll be on page 34. And we're talking about uh, things to do and things not to do from a biblical perspective. Now, it's kind of interesting that the Bible says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. In other words, earthly investments are not safe. As a matter of fact, there needs to be some investment here, so we want to look for the safest places. But if we knew a safe place, then uh, it'd be uh, difficult. Uh, you, you would make a lot of money if you knew a place that was very, very safe. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, a friend of mine who was a principal of a school, as his mother was advanced in years, in the last couple of years of her life, she came and lived with him. And uh, she had made her will, and she had him listed as the executor of the estate. But he, uh, when she passed away, he called me and he said, Ed, you know, I'm a principal. I'm not an attorney. I don't understand this. Is there any way you could probate this estate for me? And I said, oh, sure. We can go to the probate office, and I can get letters of administration if you sign over that responsibility. And I can take her will, and uh, you can share with me what her assets were. And I can, you know, make arrangements to pay off her debts and uh, distribute the, the property according to her will. So we did that. One of the accounts that she had was a senior account with Merrill Lynch. Now, I'm mentioning the name here not because I don't like that company, but just because it was a prominent company. It could have happened with anyone likely. But she had a senior account with Merrill Lynch, and uh, the, actually the headquarters were in Boulder, Colorado, of where she had gotten hers. And she had been dealing by mail back and forth with that organization. She didn't have a lot of money there, but she had about 10000 I think, is what her last statement. When, when the son gave me, uh, who was my age, gave me her papers, uh, I noticed that uh, she had an account with this company, but the, the last statement I had was maybe six months old. That's the last one he could find, which, by the way, means that we should be more organized in our stuff. But anyway, uh, he gave me this uh, senior account from Merrill Lynch. So I wrote to them on my office stationery as an attorney, and I also uh, enclosed a copy of her death certificate and my letters of administration. And then in the letter, I stated that I wanted them to close her account and send me a check, a cashier's check for the balance so that I could probate her estate, take care of her debts, and distribute the assets and so on. And actually, I have a little bit of humor in my life. It's not easy to come out in recordings, but I will just tell you that I added on the letter, knowing that you're bullish on America, her account is probably a lot bigger than this now, but it was 10000 something when I had this last statement, and I sent the letter off to them. I always send these kinds of letters registered mail. So in a few days, I got a little green postcard back stating they had picked it up and they had someone's signature on it from the office in Boulder. 
Uh, but I waited for a week and then another week and a third week and nothing happened. I didn't hear from them, so I decided to phone them. And I introduced myself and said, I'm calling on behalf of a certain person and this is her account number. And the switchboard operator said, well, a certain person is handling that. Let me switch you over there. So when the gentleman got on the phone, I said, hi, I'm Ed Reed. I'm probating the estate of a certain lady. Gave her name and her account number and said, oh, I have that file right on my desk. I've been meaning to talk to you, but he said, we, uh, well, her account's down a little bit, he said. Uh, she unfortunately made some poor investment decisions. And I said, what are you talking about? She hasn't made any investments for years. She was counting on you to do that. And, uh, well, on behalf of her, I'm telling you that, that her account is kind of down. Anyway, I said, well, you'll just need to close the account and send me a cashier's check for the balance. When I got it, the check was for about $7,400. That's not nearly as bad as many people today are losing money in the stock market. But nonetheless, it would have been quite a blow to her to realize that a quarter of her investments were gone. Now, this lady would have actually been better off with her money buried in the backyard unless your neighbors had a big dog that liked to dig. You understand there's not a safe place. You can, you can hardly describe one. If you knew a safe place, then you would, uh, could be very rich. Listen carefully. Someday, we have inside information that people in the investment market are not supposed to know. You know, current news is talking about people who get in big trouble because of insider trading information. But we as Christians know that this world is not going to last forever. And someday, I believe soon, the whole thing's coming to an end. And the things that we now value, according to the Bible, are going to get burned up. And that will decrease their value considerably, as you can imagine. So what I want to tell you is we need some investments First of all, invest in your own debt. Get completely debt-free. Invest in some savings, some things that will bring in additional income if you'd like, or invest in things that will be helpful to you in the future. But don't think about your primary investment spot here. So let's look at understanding do. This is the second point here. The Bible goes on to say in Matthew 6, 20, but do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, I want you to understand what this means. It says, where neither moth nor rust destroy, nor thieves do not break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven. Listen, God does not need the money. This is important to understand. He doesn't. He says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you because the world is mine and everything in it. But I want you to understand how important this is. God's not saying, give it to me. What he's actually saying is you store it up for yourself, but do it in heaven. You'll be able to understand when you look at the biblical principles that that which we do to help others and help advance the cause of God is storing up treasures in heaven and is increasing at a tremendous interest rate. And listen carefully, it will be ours when we get there. This is important. Remember the understanding that we had earlier? It is true that we take nothing with us when we go to heaven, but we can send it on ahead. So I think that's important to understand. Now, we're going to talk about another interesting concept, and that is savings versus hoarding. Typically, people should have a portion of every bit of their income go toward a savings program. And you can uh, have your basic needs, uh, that is your your emergency fund, which would be like three to six months of your salary equivalent. And then, you know, uh, once your debts are taken care of, you can start putting it into your uh, retirement fund and so on. But what's the difference between savings and hoarding? Remember, the Bible encourages savings, but discourages hoarding. And I want to give you the difference in uh 
savings, we're talking about saving for a purpose, like saving up to pay cash for your next car. On the other hand, hoarding is saving for security. And if you save for security, how much is enough? Well, you really never have enough. So you understand the difference there. You become very stingy when you hoard. And there are different kinds of problems from a biblical perspective. And that is the first one, which 1 Timothy 6 talks about, is the loss in a failed economy. It's pretty fascinating to understand that uh, people who put all of their funds in things in this world become very discouraged when they lose it, and people commit suicide or shoot their stockbroker, all kinds of craziness because of these problems with hoarding. A second one is that, and this is from a biblical perspective now, some people will hold their assets too long. You can read James 1.5 where it talks about, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming on you. In other words, we're talking about heaped up treasure for the last days. You fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter, robbed God of a lifetime of service. We're talking about something in, unusual. Someday our assets won't be able to benefit us or anyone else or certainly not God's cause. A number three is pretty interesting because there's a time when we can't buy or sell according to the Bible. Remember, we're looking at biblical principles now of money management, and if you can't buy or sell, what can you do with huge amounts of money that you've saved? So before that time comes, that's Revelation 13, 17, and we also have talked earlier about Mark 8, 36 and 37. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lost his soul. So the important thing, we talked about it earlier, you want to spend more time thinking about eternity in the long line than the little dot of your life. And this is an important concept to think about. Uh, a fourth point in the problems with hoarding is our savings account or our stock certificates may be actually documented evidence of our selfishness. So we want to understand that we've done the best we can to advance the cause of God. Uh, when you look at James 1, uh, or excuse me, chapter 5, verse 1 to 3, we've read verse 1 already, but verses 2 and 3 say, Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. So these are things to think about. We're told in the book Evangelism, page 63, the very means that is now so sparingly invested in the cause of God and that is selfishly retained will in a little while be cast with all idols to the moles and to the bats. Money will depreciate soon in value because people will realize the reality of eternal scenes that open before them. The fact is it's... I'm going to read that last sentence again. Money will depreciate in value very suddenly when the reality of eternal scenes opens to the senses of man. In other words, the fact is we're talking about a real crisis in monetary things. I'm going to share with you now something about high risk and low risk. For most of us, we do not spend a lot of time in the stock market. There are some people who are very knowledgeable about it. I can recommend a book for you, and we'll do so in a few minutes. But I can just share with you, most everybody knows that if you're wanting a large return on your investment, what kind of a risk do you have? The same thing. It's pretty interesting when you think about it that way. The greater return being offered, the greater risk you're taking. 
So we're talking about low return, low risk. And the big question is, where do you want to lose it? We're going to talk just briefly now about get-rich-quick schemes. And then in the uh, final minutes, we're going to talk about some earthly investments that could be helpful to you. By the way, get-rich-quick schemes seem to really go through churches. There's been many of them, like Greater Ministries and others like that, that seem Christian. Even the uh, Baptist uh, Foundation of Arizona, the, which was like a pyramid scheme, it's incredible. It seems like it, that no one should have lost money with a church entity or with people who claim they're helping missionaries and those kinds of things. But how do you recognize a get-rich-quick scheme? I'm going to describe one to you, and then I'm going to tell you all of the symptoms. Maybe we should look at the symptoms first, and you pick them out as I tell you the story. Here's four elements that are always involved in get-rich-quick schemes. The first one is the promise of high returns. In other words, you're going to make some money. You're going to make it quickly. They're talking about six-figure incomes and so on. Another one is something new that you really don't understand. You're not involved in this in your regular life, and it seems like, well, it must be okay. The third one is you must risk some money that you can't afford to lose. And the fourth one is you have to make a quick decision. So I'm going to give you an illustration of one of these. A man called me on the phone and said, uh, I have the opportunity to get involved in a business venture that's going to make us pretty wealthy, but I can't seem to talk my wife into it. Every time we talk about it, she cries. And I said, uh, well, what's the story? He said, well, could I come bring her over and you talk to her about this? And I said, well, I'll only do it if both of you come. So he came to my office and I said to him, please describe for me what your uh, business venture entails. And he said this uh, words to this effect. There's a gentleman who has uh, uh, discovered something real interesting, and that is most of you are aware, likely, that in 1849 there was the California Gold Rush, and people went all the way from the United States, clear to the, all the way across the country, to be involved in Northern California and the Gold Rush. Well, they they all of a sudden heard there was gold in Alaska, so a lot of those people went up to Alaska. At any rate, they had these big old dredges that had these uh, conveyor buckets that would bring up rock and dirt and water onto the dredge and then they would run it down through a sluice box and pick out the gold and then the stuff just went out the back in the tailings and that was the end of it well they said now we have this high-tech stuff that can bring out even gold dust and so on you could go back through that same uh, area and just get lots more gold and it really really made sense but this guy was not a miner he didn't know he said what we need is a hundred thousand dollars to uh, equip one of those old dredges that are still sitting up there we can make this thing high-tech and go right back down through all this stuff and everybody who invested will get wealthy but we need ten people to give ten thousand dollars each and the man said we don't have ten thousand dollars we can get a second mortgage on our house and easily we can have it at that point the lady started crying we've been trying to pay off our house and now he's wanting to borrow on it again so i told him well there's your answer you guys are in this together and if she doesn't feel comfortable you shouldn't do it and i said by the way have you checked this person out and he says well not really but you know it sounds great and everything and i've seen pictures of the dredge and all of that well to make a long story short i encouraged him not to get involved because first of all there's the promise of high returns something he didn't really understand he had to risk money that he couldn't afford to lose and he had to make a quick decision because he claimed that they had to have everybody together by a week from then so they could get the thing going the man called me about 10 days later and uh, said, I sure thank you for the counsel. 
And uh, I thank my wife also for being cautious in this regard, because I understand that the man was able to get 10 people to give him 10,000 each, but there's no plan for him ever to go to Alaska, and he's somewhere down in Central America at the moment. So the point is, uh, they lost all their money, everybody who put it in there. I could tell you many other stories like that. The fact is, do you really know anybody who made it good in a pyramid scheme except one or two people at the very beginning? And typically, they're so greedy, they put it back in and lose their own money anyway. We're going to go on to look at some other things to think about here. And I'm going to share with you the kind of thing that you may want to do to think about it. First of all, when we start... Uh, uh, thinking about investments, I'm going to suggest that there are actually, in this area of best places, four things to think about to begin with. And that's the first level. And uh, the first level is actually what we call financial fitness. In his book, uh, Sound Mind Investing, Austin Pryor has mentioned these levels. And I just want to share them with you because they make sense. I'll add some of my own comments to it. The first level is getting debt free. The fact is no investment is as secure as a repaid debt. You get the interest that you were paying actually uh, deducted if you pay it off. Putting your desire to invest ahead of repaying your debt obligations is usually a sign of immaturity, not financial sophistication. So keep that in mind. It's really, really important to keep those facts together. Now, how to get started. First of all, you accept responsibility for your own finances. You can get educated, read books, newsletters, magazines, seek counsel from other people, write down your needs and your goals, and be diligent in laying the foundation. But all the time, be seeking God's wisdom throughout the process. So the first level is getting debt-free. That's the only proper foundation. Develop your spending plan, use credit and credit cards properly, and pay off your house. That's a tremendous investment. For people who have done that, their housing has increased in value typically, and uh, paying off debts. I want to share with you just a real quick story in this regard. Uh, a number of years ago, I was... Uh, teaching a seminar near Loma Linda University Medical School, and some of the medical students actually came to it. It was a large seminar all day. And uh, uh, many years later, one of the young uh, men who had finished medical school said uh, three of my friends, uh, or two of my friends and I, the three of them together, had gone into a medical practice. And uh, he said they all kind of laughed when they were together socially one time, saying, now that we're through our internship and residency where we're you know, just making salaries and we're going to start making some real money, what are we going to do with all this money? And he said, well, I'm going to pay off my student loans. I remember Ed Reed's seminar, and that's the first thing I'm going to do. He had about $150,000 in student loans. And uh, so he started in on that. And uh, he said, you know, three years later, I've just about got that thing whittled away. I'm just living like I did before, but taking care of that, knowing that I didn't want that burden around my neck. The other two guys laughed and said, well, you know, with you, we can make a killing in the stock market. and You can pay this off as a business expense later. Well, he told me they had gotten together several years ago, and um, he had just about had his student loans paid off, and they had lost the money they put in the stock market. So you understand there's no better investment than repaying your own debt. 
Uh, a second level is saving for future needs. That is, you see, some people get too anxious to put money away for retirement when they still owe debts that they're paying large interest on. But a second one is saving for future needs. De develop an emergency fund. Develop an accumulation fund for future purchases or expenses like taxes that you pay once a year or whatever. Develop a plan for your children's education. And as I've mentioned, probably one of the best plans for that is actually to pay off your house. The third level of uh, financial fitness would be investing your surplus. Did you hear the word? Investing your surplus. That is what you don't need for your present needs. Learn about the various types of investments, like lending investments or ownership investments. Spend time learning about mutual fund and understand the tax consequences of investment as well. So a lot of people don't understand this basic thing, but there are really only two basic choices when it comes to investing. That is in the financial world out there. Uh, you could do you know other points, but there's some investments where you become a lender. For example, savings accounts where you're lending the bank money, certificates of deposit, uh, corporate bonds or government bonds, state and local bonds, annuities. Actually, you get a fixed return on all of these things. So you know going into it what your return is. The second kind of investment is where you become an owner. And this is where you have stocks, mutual funds, real estate, precious metals, farmland. But you only make money if the value goes up or if the company is successful. Now, the point to remember about all of this is what your level right now is or what your experience is as far as your, your stage of life. And I'll explain that in just a moment. The fourth level of financial fitness is diversifying for safety. I mentioned earlier in another program that some of the people who lost so much money with Enron and WorldCom were ones who had put all of their money in one basket. Oh, we're doing so well here. It'd be foolish to keep some in some other place when we're doing so well. But they violated the very first law of investment, and that's diversify for safety. A second point in this financial fitness level is understanding investing, know what you want to accomplish, and set out goals. I think it's uh, valuable to understand that. The fact is, when you have these goals, you'll recognize that people are always trying to beat the market, if you please. And that's not easy to do, because from 1926 to 2000, the stock market returned an average of 11% per year. If you try to beat that, that, that's what causes high risk. You get in things that promise higher returns. So with many conflicts out there, putting all your faith in a single person or a source uh, is a recipe for disaster. And we don't want to have disasters coming in the future. These are things to think about. You can talk about church investments, putting money in the cause of God, like a mission project or even a, a, an account like revocable trust, something like that, where or an annuity, those kind of investments. Or you can think of projects to advance the cause of God. This is not actually going to give you a return, but it would give you the satisfaction of knowing that you've helped someone. Also, the education of workers. These are important. So I mentioned earlier the stages of life, so I want to talk to you a little bit about that so that you can understand uh, what we mean by this. There's a certain time that you're actually laying the foundation of your financial life situation, and that probably runs into the 30s uh, or 40s, some people say. 
there's a second time when you're accumulating assets. So that's the middle part of your life, your 40s and 50s. And then in your third stage, you're thinking about preserving those assets from uh, your 60s and into your 70s. And uh, number four is distributing assets. That's age 75 and beyond. I've actually divided it into three of myself as well. That would be your learning years from, say, birth to age 30, your earning years, 30 to 60, and the returning years from 60 until you're laid to rest. Those are things just to think about, really. One of the fundamental rules of investing uh, that we should never forget is the greater the return being offered, the greater the risk you're taking. This is always the case, whether those making the offer tell you or not, whether it's obvious or not, and whether you know it or not. It's always important to understand that. These are factors to think about. So what are the best places? Well, there's the, you, you're looking for low risk. That's what you're thinking about, especially as you get older. Because as you get older, you're not going to live long enough to earn the money back again. Uh, we've talked about Matthew 6, verse 20, to store up treasures in heaven. The fact is we're going to be leaving here soon. How do you do it? How much? Those are things to think about when we talked about uh, savings uh, for eternity. Remember Matthew 6, and verse 20 says that it's safe there. Councils on Stewardship, page 342, in giving to the work of God, you are laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. All that you lay up is secure from disaster and loss and is increasing to an eternal and enduring substance. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. We know that's a safe place, and God will take care of it. Another one, volume one of the Testimonies, page 226. Those who really feel an interest in the cause of God and are willing to venture something for its advancement will find it a safe and sure investment. Uh, probably there are many others that we could talk about, but our real ultimate security is talking about helping to advance God's cause and helping others. Some counsel given years ago to a person who had made some real poor earthly investments is recorded in Volume 2 of the Testimonies, page 280. And here's the statement. It almost sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme. The enterprise of securing eternal life did not awaken your interest. Here you could have expended means and run no risk, met no disappointment, and in the end would have received immense profits. Here you could have invested in the never-failing bank of heaven. This enterprise is, e is eternal and is as much nobler than any earthly enterprise as the heavens are higher than the earth. And I'll share with you a little statement before I conclude here. And this is volume 9 of the Testimonies, page 59. As the followers give back to the Lord his own, they are accumulating treasure which will be theirs when they hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. It's really interesting that those words, Well done, are only spoken to those who manage Christianly. We can think back on our lives for many things, interesting things that people have said to us or done to us, and uh, they're very interesting for us to think about. But when you stop and, and really contemplate it, there's nothing more important to any of us than hearing those words, well done. And those words are spoken to those who manage their money from a Christian perspective. God will say, you've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. This is an important area of our life and one that's uh, uh, fraught with some difficulty. But I think if we follow the biblical principles, God will guide us 
And uh, we will certainly have our money secure in a safe place and live this life in an abundant manner. been listening to It's Your Money with Christian attorney and financial counselor G. Edward Reed. If you'd like to learn more about developing financial strategies from a Christian perspective, call 1-800-328-0525 and ask for the companion It's Your Money book and workbook written by Mr. Reed. You can also order individual It's Your Money CDs by name or topic. Call 1-800-328-0525 or visit online at www.adventsource.org.